Welcome to Believer Radio, a companion soundtrack to our 2023 music issue, produced in collaboration with BFF.FM. My name is Daniel Gambiner, and I'm the editor of The Believer, a quarterly arts and culture magazine published by McSweeney's in San Francisco. For this project, we've asked a handful of our contributors to DJ hour-long sets of music related to the articles they wrote for the issue. To view the full offering of DJ sets, please visit bff.fm slash believer. And to subscribe to The Believer and support more projects like this one, please visit thebeliever.net slash subscribe. Hi, I'm Paul Collins, and today I'm going to talk about musical substitutions. This really came out of two stories that I wrote for The Believer, two decades apart. One, written for the latest music issue, is a timeline of the history of kazoo bands. Yes, really. From the first person to patent the kazoo up to their modern use in soundtracks. Because kazoos started as a way to replace other, more expensive instruments. The other is a story from the 2007 issue about the Byrotron, a 1970s keyboard, now maybe the world's rarest production musical instrument, that was once supposed to lead an analog sampling revolution. We'll start with a familiar Beatles track, but it's one in which something odd is happening. A lot of what you hear in this song is not, in a sense, real. So some of the sound in Flying off the album Magical Mystery Tour is analog sampled trombone, flute, and strings. It's one of the earliest uses of the Mellotron, something originally built for people's living rooms as a home orchestra, but then experimented with by rock bands. Basically, it was a keyboard hooked up to various frames of audio tape. You hold down a key, and it engages a tape recording of a musician playing that particular note on whatever musical instrument. The keyboardist Jean-Michel Jarre explained it pretty well. Imagine taking a piano and replacing the strings with tape, and then replacing the piano hammers with tape playback heads. It's an instrument that was often used as the audio equivalent of representational art, a cheap way to represent orchestral instruments 
in the studio and on stage. In the early days, it even got some pushback from musicians' unions because they were worried that these newfangled machines were going to steal work from human performers. A pretty understandable concern then and, well, now. The Mellotron became really associated with progressive rock acts in the 60s and 70s. King Crimson, Yes, Genesis. But you can hear it in all kinds of songs from back then, from the flutes in Strawberry Fields, to the strings in Marvin Gaye's Mercy Me, to the strings in Led Zeppelin's The Rain Song. A lot of the time, it's a straight-up substitute for an orchestra. In a moment, when you hear Shaka Khan singing over strings and flutes on Rufus's first album in 1973, that's a Mellotron. And after that, you're going to hear a gorgeous string and oboe arrangement in the 1976 Genesis song, Blood on the Rooftops. And that part is also basically one guy and a lot of little pieces of audio tape. I finally found you Walking down the road So much older than yesterday I finally found you Such a heavy load upon your shoulders Found a home in Georgia, sweet magnolias everywhere. Sweet love by my side, I find my world without a care. I find I find you. Find the fire Walking down the road So much older Than yesterday I find the fire Such a heavy load Upon your shoulder I finally found The love
Spanish film, the Wednesday play. We always watch the Queen on Christmas Day. Won't you stay? Sailors, you're still dry. The outlook's fine, the waves might have some rain. Saved again. Started. 
Mellotrons can sound beautiful, but they had problems. They cost thousands of dollars, and that's 1960s and 1970s dollars. And you needed two roadies to move one. Also, the notes couldn't last longer than eight seconds because that's how long those little lengths of tape went. If you kept your finger pressed down, eventually the note would just stop. And it took a moment for the tape heads and frames to engage in the first place. You can't play fast on them. The first time I ever played a Mellotron, its owner told me, imagine you're gently pressing your fingers down into a sponge. That was accurate advice. You can't shred on a Mellotron. Basically, Mellotrons are slow, they're heavy, they're expensive, and they're a nightmare to maintain. The keyboardist for Genesis, Tony Banks, one of the great virtuosos of the Mellotron, once commented that he didn't really love them. That was true for a lot of people. They were a means to an end. And once you could get cheaper and more portable sounds, Mellotrons fell out of fashion. You couldn't give them away in the 1980s. There were better substitutes now. But if you think of Mellotrons as having their own sound, as not just being a substitute, then it's different. They found a place later in indie music because they sound a little weird, a little wrong, a little uncanny, somehow different. The Mellotron Choir in Radiohead's Exit Music for a Film, for instance, isn't meant to be soothing and familiar. Two of the instrument's most consistent fans have been Amy Mann and Fiona Apple. There's a Mellotron precursor, The Chamberlain, on Mann's 1993 solo debut album titled Whatever, and a Mellotron on Apple's latest album from 2020, Fetch the Bolt Cutters. Listen to their songs Put Me on Top and Rack of His, and you'll hear what sounds like flutes, strings, and vibraphones, or sort of sounds like them. Put me 
Put some hope in the bottom of the So that brings us to the star of my 2007 piece for The Believer, the Byrotron. The Byrotron was invented by a guy named Dave Byro, and it was going to fix the problems of the Mellotron. In other words, it was a substitute for a substitute for an orchestra. 
instead of needing two people to move it, the Birotron was going to be a tabletop keyboard. It would be reliable. And unlike Mellotron notes, you could hold the notes on a Birotron endlessly. How? Because of the magic of eight track tape decks. That's right, an entire musical instrument made of the stuff that your cousin had under the dashboard of his Ford Pinto. That's pretty literally what Biro, uh, a musician in Connecticut, had actually done. He wanted to play music by the band Yes, but he couldn't afford a Mellotron. So he salvaged the keyboard from an old piano and he got dozens of eight track tape decks from an auto junkyard and he built a homemade Mellotron. But because eight tracks run in an endless loop, it was really its own instrument, a Dave Birotron. The next time Yes came through town, he showed it off to them and a new venture was born. The keyboardist for Yes, Rick Wakeman, formed a Birotron company to build it and received roughly 1,000 advance orders. This was gonna be the next big thing. Led Zeppelin ordered one, Paul McCartney ordered one, the Captain and Tennille ordered one, but only a few got built and only three people ever actually had a Birotron delivered. The German band Tangerine Dream, an American band that they produced called Earthstar, and Rick Wakeman himself. So what happened? Well, there were some manufacturing issues, but above all, as Wakeman once put it, some nasty professor invented the chip. Digital keyboards came along, and they pretty much wiped out analog in the 80s. These days, there are only two working Birotrons still known to be in existence. Wakeman's Birotron made the instrument's one and only appearance in the pop charts in 1978 with the Yes single, Don't Kill the Whale. It reached number 38 in the UK charts, and it has string and choir sounds in a representational fashion, but deep in the mix. Tangerine Dream and Earthstar went a different way. You can hear them here on Tangerine Dream's Force Majeure, and especially on Earthstar's song, Sirens. Both embraced the spookiness of the Birotron, whose endlessly looped sounds had no fixed attack or decay. And they pushed the sound to the front of the mix, where they create an uncanny valley of impossible strings and perpetual human wailing, which, considering the fate of the instrument, seems about right.
Now the subject of musical substitutes is about to move from the sublime to the ridiculous. My latest piece for The Believer began because I came across a 1901 magazine ad trying to sell something called a sonophone. It was supposed to be a cheap substitute for a church organ. If your church couldn't afford an organ with four sonophones, you could supposedly get what they called a pipe organ effect. So I looked up sonophones and they're kazoos. They were selling kazoos as a substitute for church organs. Well, that sent me down a rabbit hole. One odd aspect of this story is that it actually took me right to the origins of the kazoo itself. It turned out that there was a widely reprinted and pretty clearly false history about some alleged inventors named Alabama Vest and Thaddeus von Clegg. The real inventor looks to be its 1883 patent holder, a New York inventor named Warren Frost. But even that had a twist. A year before Frost filed his patent, someone in his area, quite possibly Frost himself, advertised an instrument they called the El Kazoo. They claimed the El Kazoo was cheap, anyone could play it, and that it could imitate any sound. Also, that it had been discovered in the chambers of the ancient pyramids of Egypt. It's truly first-class Victorian advertising BS. There's a whole history of bands made up of kazoos that came out of that. But one of the odder versions was that for much of the 20th century in Northern England mining towns, you'd find what were called juvenile jazz bands. These were bands of kids dressed up in very elaborate military-style uniforms and marching to drums and, well, kazoos. The kazoos were shaped to look like other instruments, or they had these long added horns on them, but that's what they were. They were kazoos. You can actually see one of these bands, the Palau Hussars, in the 1971 movie Get Carter, marching around a neighborhood while a naked Michael Caine brandishes a shotgun. But here, you'll hear a British newsreel from 1960, of a juvenile jazz band performance. And like most juvenile jazz bands, it's charming, heartwarming, and it sounds absolutely dire. The thing is, a kazoo can replace almost any instrument, badly. The height of the form is one of the first hits for Rhino Records, the Temple City Kazoo Orchestra's 1978 cover of Whole Lotta Love, where every part of the Led Zeppelin song drums, bass, guitar, and above all the vocal line are replaced by kazoos. And it is really something. The words pageant, spectacle, and precision are synonymous these days with the gods. And visitors from all parts of the world flock to see such traditional ceremonies as trooping the color. Yet few of them have been privileged to watch lesser known but equally impressive parades like this by one of the remarkable kazoo bands from the Northeast. 
The bands, as you'll have gathered, are comprised of youngsters from 5 to 16. And this particular group, from Ashington in Northumberland, are known as the Melody Makers. The name kazoo comes from their instruments, which look rather like trumpets, but which, as you'll discover, produce a distinctive paper and comb effect. Despite the military-like precision, the bands have no ties in that direction. On the contrary, they're each run by a committee of miners, uh, coal miners, that is, who raise the money for everything. And when you consider those uniforms alone cost about eight guineas per member, and there are a hundred or so in the band, you can get some idea of the expense involved. In fact, the whole idea is unique, although perhaps typical of the community spirit in most mining towns. Every weekend, the rival bands compete in some carnival or other in the northeast. And the melody makers, for example, have no less than four double-decker busloads of supporters accompanying them on away fixtures. Actually, the kazoo idea goes back to the 1930s with adult jazz bands. But this juvenile band was formed in 1958, although new youngsters are joining all the time. rehearses at least three evenings a week, although specialists like drum major Marilyn Young, with 13 medals already to her credit, practice in every spare moment. Miners organize these bands because, after long hours underground, they can in this way find an outlet for their instinctive desire for color and spectacle. Be that as it may, our only regret is that their activities are not more widespread. And now the Temple City Moose Club is proud to present our own Temple City Kazoo Orchestra. <laughs>
Years later, it emerged that the Temple City Kazoo Orchestra was really a studio creation by Rhino Records, and in part was made up of members from Stevie Wonder's band. One thing that I actually didn't put in the article was that it was recorded in the studio of Michael Cimbello. You might know Cimbello for the hit single Maniac, which was inescapable in 1983. Anyway, Cimbello is responsible for Maniac and, in part, for that kazoo version of Whole Lot of Love. There are also a couple of new and interesting twists about the Biotron that were not in my Believer article in 2007. One extraordinary thing that I learned since then was that there was an attempt in the early 1980s by new investors to save the Biotron. They were going to reinvent it as a hybrid instrument called the Biotron Polyvox. The idea was that it would merge the best qualities of new digital technologies along with an improved version of the Biotron's existing technology. Who were these visionary investors that were now going to build the keyboard of the future? Well, I'd ask you, the, the listener, to guess, but you can't. You really can't. I'm just going to tell you. It's Pepperidge Farm. Wait, you're asking, are there two companies with that name? No. No, it's the one that you're thinking of. The people who brought you Milano cookies were going to make keyboards for Led Zeppelin and Paul McCartney and, okay, well, Led Zeppelin had broken up by then. But the point is, a subsidiary unit of Pepperidge Farm, which was, by the way, itself part of the Campbell's Soup Empire. Anyway, they were going to do this. Now, this makes just slightly more sense when you remember that back in the 60s, 70s, and 80s, lots of companies dabbled in diversifying their investments, and they created these weird corporate conglomerates. My mom actually worked in the HR department of one of these types of companies back in the 80s. And the main thing I remember about them is that they owned both a, a coal mine and an ice cream company. So I guess that made sense to somebody. Anyway, you'll be shocked to hear that this synergy between cookies and rock and roll did not work out. But a few months ago, I heard out of the blue from Chris Dale. He's the owner of one of the two remaining functioning Biotrons in the world. And in the years since that Believer article came out, Chris actually acquired its master tapes, including some custom ones made for Led Zeppelin. And he's very slowly and painstakingly restoring the instrument and digitally archiving and repairing its sounds. Here's what Chris playing on the unrestored tapes sounds like.
You can find out all about it in his Facebook group called Help Save the Biotron. So even without the help of Pepperidge Farm, there may be a future for those eight-track tapes after all. Thank you for listening to Believer Radio. To find more DJ Hours, please visit bff.fm slash Believer. And to subscribe to The Believer, please go to thebeliever.net slash subscribe. Our producer and engineer is Claire Mullen. Many thanks to the staff of The Believer, Rita Bullwinkle, Justin Carter, Annie Dills, Ginger Green, Kim Hugh Lowe, Lucy Huber, Heidi Julevitz, Ed Park, Raj Tawney, Sunra Thompson, Amanda Yuli, Vendela Vida, Dan Weiss, Sally Wen Mao, and James Ye. Huge thank you also to our collaborators on this project, BFF.FM. To make a donation to them and support community radio, please go to BFF.FM slash donate.